Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. Hey everybody, we are live. It is uh, Sunday, November 27th, 2016. This is the Atheist Experience from Austin, Texas. I'm Matt Delaney. Joining me this week, Don Baker. Hey, Woo! good to be here. And all the people out there are cheering too. And all happy, that stuff. happy holiday weekend for Americans at least. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things. So this past Thursday was, by the way, the, the booth mic is still live, uh, if somebody wanted to check that. But this last Thursday was Thanksgiving in the United States, and inevitably, every time there's some holiday that has even the most tenuous ties to religion or Christianity, we get the questions of, oh, well, why are you atheists celebrating Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, here's the thing. I didn't pray to anybody. I thanked the people around me, and I had a nice dinner, which I think is what the overwhelming majority of people right. actually do. Hang out and family, if, right? If the the extent of your celebration is is perhaps engaging in a in a form of gluttony, which is denounced by, as one of the uh, seven Some deadly sins. Um, I don't know that you're actually falling into the trappings of Christianity. So, yeah, I had a good Thanksgiving and um, did some spring cleaning and and got my Christmas decorations mostly up. The wow. inside's wow. done. The outside's not. You're so ambitious. Yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> by the way, we'll have a video up. Uh, before Christmas on the Atheist Debates Project about atheists and Christmas. Uh, but it's fun. How was your weekend? Oh, good. Um, did, did a big family thing and uh, made a lot of food, ate a lot of food. So Inevitable. Inevitable, yeah. right. Had some relatives in from out of town, so that was nice. Cool. Well, we, uh, as usual, we'll be, we'll be here live taking your phone calls. The number's up right above Don's name right there. And also, if you go to atheist-experience.com, you can find both the show schedule, the archive of shows that we've done in the past, and there's a section there on how to contact the show. I think there's even information about the studio address, which is right there, live broadcast, 1507 West Candy Lane. That's where we are right now. And there's people who bothered to show up and sit on the other side of the glass. And what are we going to do with these people later? I, we, we will probably, <laughs> uh, some of the folks involved will go to dinner. 
at uh, I think we're going to starve India, and they'll probably put that address up at the bottom of the screen as well. Uh, any atheist or atheist-friendly person is welcome to come both to the show or the after-show dinner or any of the events sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin. You can find out more about the ACA at atheist-community.org. Um, but today, is this a failure? This is another failure. This is another failure. <laughs> Yay, chuck uh, up another failure. Yay. <laughs> I'm wondering, Don, do you just think everything's a failure? No, no, uh-uh. See, and that's the right answer, because if there weren't some things that weren't failures, you wouldn't have anything to contrast the well, failures you know, with. In, in my line of work, I'm a software guy, and yeah. I, I make mistakes all the time, and I try to learn from them. This and was, that's a good thing. You, if you learn something, then, then the failure's been useful, right? I gave a talk once about how depressed I got. I used to be a software QA analyst, and so it was guys like you who kept me busy because you, right. would, you would put, them, screwing things up, right? put the mistakes in and then I would find the mistakes. It's, it's job security. I want you guys to screw up all the time. But I, I had a, yeah. a moment of uh, like existential concern when I realized that my entire life was about finding what was wrong. I'd go to work in the software industry mm. and be like, let's find every mistake in here and let's sort out the mistakes. And yes, we're doing it so that we don't yeah, lose customers. It takes customers a certain mindset, doesn't it? To look for what's broken. And then I would get on the atheist experience or in a debate and it's all about, let me find out what's broken. And then I realized that in order to find out that something is broken, you have to know what it should look like if it were working correctly. And so this isn't a negative headspace at all. This is about trying to make the world better, whether you're talking about software or philosophy or theology. And today you have a topic that kind of merges in with that with some rather troubling theological ideas. That's right. right. Today's show is uh, Troubling Theology. Um, This is number 44, if you're counting, uh, of the Failure series. So Getting, getting up there. Someday you're going to have more episodes about failures than we've had episodes total. <laughs> I don't know I'm sorry. I was, doing, I was doing theist math. There. Right, right. Infinity minus infinity, right. Anyway, uh, so theology. How many episodes <laughs> of Christian failures can dance on the head of a pig? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you're right. Theology is a set of unsubstantiated claims mostly about the unknowable. I, th- I think that's a pretty reasonable definition. It gives the appearance of being intellectual, but it's really a, a pile of rationalizations. And, and one person's theology is just as good as any others because they're, they're not substantiated. And it tells us nothing, theology tells us nothing of importance about the real world. And the only way a theology can win is maybe to gain mind share or help pay the church bills or something like that. So that's, that's how theologies survive. Atheists have no use for theology, but it is a kind of exercise in reasoning about fictional worlds. And we find it sadly amusing when, when that reasoning fails, when, when the whole thing collapses under its own weight. So today I wanted to talk about uh, nine or so troubling theological questions. Uh, and they're troubling for believers, but not for atheists. And I'll, uh, after each one we'll, we'll talk about you know, what, what, what is the atheist perspective on it. Um, rather than go through the list, I'll just dive right in. First one is problem of evil. This is a very ancient uh, problem with religions. If, if God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnibenevolent, why is there evil in the world? And this is, this is an old one. It's, it even predates Christianity. Um, and there's been various rationalizations that follow for this conundrum. Um, but it's never been answered in, in, a, in a, any sort of reasonable way. Um, 
So there's this rationalization that, hey, you have to have, uh, God gave us free will, so you're screwing it up. It's all your fault. Um, but what have Christians done, you know, with, with their free will? You know, we still have, uh, we're still giving tax breaks to an international pedophile crime ring, for example. Um, and, and that's largely due to the Christian mindset that, that we, this is okay. We should can, do that. Can I interrupt for one yes. weirdly pedantic thing? Sure. Um, and I, I've done this several times. I would prefer that we didn't say pedophile crime ring and instead said pederast file crime ring. Okay. And the, the, the difference here is because pedophilia is an attraction to children, is a sexual attraction to children. And there are plenty of people who are pedophiles who never act upon it. Oh. And I don't want us to get in the position of vilifying. Pu- vilifying um, there are people who would identify it as an orientation. And But this is about what goes on in your head and what you're attracted to and things that you don't have any choice over. Whereas pederasts are men who prey on young boys. And actually, uh, that doesn't cover the whole gamut of what they're guilty of. So we're talking about child rape. Yeah. Is what we're really yeah. talking okay. about. And that gets us out of there. I know that there are tons of people who are like, have this knee jerk reaction to how pedophile has been used forever. Uh, and what is meant by it is certainly objectionable. But as for what it actually is, I've heard many times from people who are like, look, I, I have this attraction. There's nothing I can do about it. At least I'm not aware of it, except not to act upon it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think those people should be lauded in the same way that somebody um, who might have some other attraction that departs from the norm should be lauded for not uh, violating the rights of other people. So, Okay, thank you. I appreciate that point. Uh, well, from the atheist perspective, the problem of evil is just this very old problem that has yet to be addressed, and and it's been around forever, and uh, we are still waiting on a response. And by the way, if if you uh, have a response to any of these problems I'm bringing up, uh, or want to call in and you know set me straight, please do. I I welcome that. Next question: Is God perfect? Okay. Well, if He is perfect, why did He have to meddle so much in His creation to fix problems like the the the, the Fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the flood, Tower of Babel, sending Jesus to die. Why did, why did he have to come in and fix all these things? Um, and if he makes any change at all, it's sort of an admission that it was, something was wrong to begin with, right? Because either he's, he's improving it or he's, he's making it less perfect through his actions, right? So any sort of action is, is uh, a problem uh, of, with a perfect God. So let me, let me throw on my Christian apology. Okay. Set. There's still going to be a problem here, but okay, God's perfect. We screwed it up. Yeah, so that, that's the sort of a blame the victim sort of thing. Uh, the, the, the response here, by the way, and I only include this so that you're Christians don't immediately call in to say, "Oh, you just don't understand Christian doctrine." You know, you have this idea that God made an imperfect world. God made a perfect world and then gave man free will, and man messed up God's perfect creation. Then the question becomes, shouldn't God have seen that? Shouldn't he have known about that ahead of time? Um, because if you're a perfect being, first of all, my question would be, why create anything in the first place? Mm-hmm. And why create anything that could potentially go wrong? And if it does go wrong, like if I created, you know, The Sims, and they were unable to understand me, and I was unable to get them to do what it is that I wanted them to do, and I just wrote it all off as, well, that's your free will, that's one thing. But then if I begin to punish The Sims for not living up to the perfection that I thought. Now we're to the problem. So this is where the is God perfect really goes off the rails because every attempt to rehabilitate this still gets to an imperfect God. Yeah. 
And so the other side of this is, is your God imperfect? If he is, then why are you, why are you bothering to follow him? Why are you following an imperfect God? Why are you following anybody? Um, right. Uh, and uh, from an atheist perspective, an imperfect universe is a sure sign of an imperfect creation process. Since uh, and, and I'm not talking about creation in the sense of uh, creationism. Um, science explains the universe much better than any theology. And it explains the imperfections as well. Next one, why does God hide? Well, if there's an all-powerful God who wants a relationship with humans, why is he hiding? Um, according to the Bible, God can appear to people, and needing people to believe in him is a rather vain sort of thing, isn't it? It's, it's silly. It's very silly. The, right. the idea that... I, I'm, I'm opposed to veneration and, and worship um, because I think that the characteristics that we should venerate um, are such that nobody should ever demand it. Like this idea that you need to worship me already defeats the idea that you should be worshipped. You have a flaw in your thinking if you expect worship. But this thing about, you know, why does God hide? What I hear over and over again is, well, that because if God revealed himself, then we would no longer have free will. We would just have to serve. That's bizarre, especially if you believe in, for example, a Satan who has been in God's presence and knows God and yet was still free to rebel. Uh, and this idea that uh, if God revealed himself to us, we wouldn't have free will. Well, maybe we don't have free will at all, but to the extent that we do, why would that change it? In, in actuality, what you're saying is, if you knew that God exists, you would be so terrified that you would worship, and it would be an insincere worship. Okay, can I fool God then? Is that what you're saying? Why, what is this? Yeah. You have to come to me of your own volition <laughs> right, and good right. heart. I, I appreciate you unpacking some of these, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of very interesting tangents here. Um, from an atheist perspective, blind faith is kind of a gullibility test. It, it helps collect people who are easily, you know, e easily manipulated is basically so that you can extract money out of them or, or teach them to do things. Um, so that's that's why God hides. And by, by the way, <laughs> and we're all gullible. We are all gullible about something. Beth and I, over the last few months, have watched a bunch of documentaries about cults, oh. uh, cults and deprogramming. There was a cult that was here in Austin as well, and the in the 90s, uh, shortly after I moved here. Um, and the one thing that to, keep, to remember is that the people who get involved in cults aren't fundamentally different from people who get involved into other religions or other movements. Um, by and large, they're good people who want to do good things, but they have a personality that if there's somebody else at the top who's making the decisions for you, that's comforting because it takes away the stress and anxiety of having to make decisions. And that can build up into just full-on bizarre work. Yeah, examining things and, and trying to evaluate them and trying to make good decisions, that's hard work. And, and it sure is easy to just follow, isn't it? And that's, that's a shame, isn't it? Um, next one, who made the rule about blood sacrifice? Jesus had to be blood sacrificed to atone for the sins of mankind because God needed a blood sacrifice. So who made that rule? Well, if God made the rule, then he's a dick. <laughs> he could have just unmade the rule and, and unwound the thing and, and, and all would be good. If somebody else made the rule, then God was is clearly powerless over this over overcoming this rule, and we should maybe worship that other God instead. It's one of the <laughs> here here we're in complete agreement. This is so it's almost certainly the case that this is a bizarre holdover from other religions that were into blood magic. 
And it's strange to me that modern Jews and Christians can look at what's in the Bible and not recognize that this is blood magic. And it's blood magic being performed and sanctioned by their deity. You're absolutely right. If if I was God, why would I ever make a rule that you needed to slaughter something else and then burn it so that the beautiful smell of it would waft up to my nose and then I could forgive you for what you just did? I mean, who thinks like that other than people who have been in the trappings of religious views that included pledge magic. Well, that works well. Let's do that for us. My, my pet theory is that the early priests really liked barbecue. Because <laughs> they were going to get the spoils. <laughs> that, that whole thing about, you know, not, uh, not stewing a kid in the, in the milk of its mother was, uh, that wasn't fatty enough. The, the lambs are not good enough. You need the sheep with the fat so that you can render the fat down, you know. Okay. That's what bacon comes in. Bacon. Okay. Mm. <laughs> All right, but All it's, right. A, it's a gross rule, and and <laughs> it is. Don's absolutely right. Is it's, that it's it's very objectionable. It's almost so in the sci-fi world. This is there's this idea of retcon of going back and trying to make things make sense under after changes, and so if we decided, hey, it's kind of impractical for us to be oh I don't know, slaughtering our potential food and our livelihood uh, to give it to the priests to save ourselves. Let's just have one big sacrifice that in sacrifice for all time. Yeah, I've heard that theory before. And then we don't have to ever ask ourselves why it was that we needed to sacrifice anything in the first place. It's like now we're so far removed from this. I mean, you you watch documentaries about... um, uh, voodoo type cults and stuff where they're sacrificing chickens and spreading the mm-hmm. blood around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and modern Christians, especially Western Christians, will look at that and go, oh my gosh, some of them will say that's satanic. And others will be like, that's just weird. It's This is the same. This is yeah. exactly what yeah. we're talking about. It's just chickens instead of lambs yeah. or whatever. Right? It reminds me, uh, <clears throat> Guy P. Harrison, uh, when he wrote uh, 50 Reasons People Give for Believing in God, he talked about an incident where I, I believe he was somewhere in the Caribbean and had a bicycle accident when he came to. There were people standing around him praying, and he's like, I didn't feel, uh, I didn't have any animo- animosity towards them. I was thankful that they were there. And I was like, boy, I would have, because, you know, first of all, they need to call an ambulance and they need to be doing whatever it is to take care of me. But it shows your bias, because if you'd have come to and they'd have been sprinkling chicken blood around you, would you feel the same way as them standing around praying when those two things are fundamentally the same? Except that, you know, they're not killing a chicken. (laughs) All right. So on this blood sacrifice thing, from the atheist perspective, uh, this whole idea of original sin is just a pernicious mind game used to entrap people in a cycle of guilt, repentance, and giving money to the church. And the whole thing's a, a, just a really terrible idea. Next one. Did Jesus die? Well, if he didn't die, then there was no sacrifice and there's just some discomfort. And if he did die, he's dead. Either way, you're not really getting saved. And dying and resurrecting, dying and resurrecting is just bad fiction trying to have one's cake and eat it too. If you're, if you're trying to, you know play both sides here, feel sorry for the thing that died, but, but oh, it's alive. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and one of the common things is that, hey, look, this proves that it's true because the Jews weren't looking for a dying and rising Messiah, and when Jesus did that, that kind of uh, set it up so that there, there's no good reason for that they would have invented a Messiah like that. Okay, I, color me completely unimpressed, and this whole idea that I'm going to give up a weekend to save humanity is bizarre. 
Yeah. Uh, because I have no interest in dying, but if there was an absolute guarantee, the kind of guarantee you'd get if, in fact, you were God or in communication with God, that torturing and killing me would end human suffering forever, and I don't get to come back from that, I think I'd probably do it. Because at least there would be statues to me, and so I know that my, my, you know, uh, I I would get something out of it. It's an ego thing. There you go. (laughs) But but there's also this idea that perhaps, you know, there is some, uh, something laudable about being willing to sacrifice. But giving up a weekend, uh, not even a whole weekend, just part of a weekend. Yeah. And then you get to be God forever. I I mean, you were God before, but not while you were dead. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Okay, so from an atheist perspective, death, death and re- resurrection of gods has been used by many ex- uh, religions to explain the seasons. Uh, resurrecting gods are a dime a dozen, and most of them do it every year, not just once. So why kill the Jews? If God orchestrated the crucifixion, and then the Jews, then the Jews should be praised for helping with the plan, right? If 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 God uh, sent Jesus to die for your sins, then it was part of His plan, and these guys are the, these guys are the heroes of the story. Instead, they've been persecuted and slaughtered by Christianity for over fourteen hundred years. So either the Jews messed up in a, a bumbling God's plan, and they needed to be punished, or Christianity is just a free cat pass to kill Jews. So either either way, there's a problem. So. This is where I have to interject. Okay, please do. There's nothing in Christianity that encourages or admonishes, makes it a good thing to kill Jews. Oh, it's uh, let his let his death be upon us. Said by a chorus, no less, of of, of Jews in in. in <laughs> yeah, so there's it's a trial. There's nothing within the, there's nothing within the Christian religion that encourages or suggests that we should be running around killing Jews, which is why the bulk of fundamentalist Christians are so inextricably tied to Israel and supporting you know this. Now you're right. Uh, for those who did, and for those who are Jew haters, and the, you know, you've got the white supremacists and other stuff who try to, to don't, use Don't forget aspects, about Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> who try to use this to say, oh, well, the Jews killed our Lord. You're right. If anything, if, if, if salvation needed to occur, then it should be Judas who is the hero of the story mm-hmm. uh, for doing what needed to be done to get God's plan to come to fruition. Um, it should also be the Jews who, despite the fact they had, you know, motivations that were in opposition to God, they brought about the plan. At the end of the day, it's either God's plan or it isn't. And so you need to applaud God or curse God. Right. But everybody else is just a little plaything. Right. (laughs) And, And for the Christians who are like, oh, we love the Jews because they live in the land that we need to have destroyed for the second coming to come in. You're a bunch of assets. That's too. right. We're going to surf on their blood into the next dimension. Yay, yay. Okay. We need to be allies with Israel so we can usher in in the end of the world. Yeah, it's pretty creepy your, stuff. Your motivations are suspect at best. Right, right. So from an atheist perspective, uh, Christianity is sort of a rival to Judaism. Christianity branched off of Judaism. And Christianity gains my share by by getting rid of those other hosts uh, of the other religious meme. Um, why not kill X? Um, so the Bible, properly understood as a genocide manual, lots of God, uh, his most common interaction with people is to kill them. His second most common interaction is to ordering their, their deaths. And, uh, and if you go through the Bible and, and start doing counting, that's, that's what you'll find. So 
why not follow God and continue the, all the killing that he's ordered? Um, for example, uh, killing witches was, uh, was done for 600 years and still done in some, some parts of the world today. Um, thanks to Exodus twenty-two eighteen, which God commanded, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And then the killing stopped. So why do Christians disregard their Bible? Why, why do they, why do they um, thumb their nose at God? Want to say anything? Cherry picking. Cherry picking. That's right. It's actually, it's actually more complicated than that. What happened is Christianity got dragged kicking and screaming out of the dark ages uh, by being surrounded by people who were a little more enlightened than what you would get just from a plain reading of the Bible. Um, you know, when they, when they killed witches, it was based on a doctrine that they were not only following the Bible, but doing those witches a favor. And many of the witches that they killed and burned felt as if they were being done a favor as well. Because you were purifying their soul. They, you know, they were convinced that they were going to hell, but you burning them at the stake set them free from their sin. Oh boy. And completely invented, you know. <laughs> but it's all just an invented fiction. Right, right. And because they're sort of changing their mind and flip flopping here, there doesn't seem to be anything such as God's absolute morality. Um, and it seems like uh, the acts of Christians are nothing more than. Mindless, immoral thugs following con artists. It's really the secular morality that has brought about the end of killing witches and um, reigning in some of the, the atrocities of, of the religions. Why does God care so much about sex? God sure does. God is obsessed with foreskins, virginity, women, women as war spoils, uh, treating women like baby-making machines, homosexuality, Masturbation, boy, on and on and on. Um, and you would think that if God cared so much about getting rid of foreskins, he would have, you know, fixed fixed that in the in the master plan, you know, and he wouldn't have to do that. Or uh, if, if God didn't like homosexualities, he wouldn't make any homosexuals. So it's as if God is trying to harness the power he lacks through the churches he never appears in. Talking about somebody, you know, why would God do certain things? The problem of evil comes up quite a lot, and I'm, I've said before, I'm not all that impressed by most versions of the problem of evil, but there's this idea of could God have made a better world, or are we living in the best world that God could make, given, you know, our ability to make decisions about things? And so you had asked, you know, why doesn't God just make everybody heterosexual? And there are people who think that he does. And you are a sinful That's reprobate, a... <laughs> you know. You made this, I may be anyway. You made this choice. <laughs> and, of course, you know, when did I choose to be straight? I don't remember. But the, the other it thing is, Tuesday. <laughs> why in a world where you're not required to reproduce sexually in the animal kingdom, some do, some don't, why make your chosen beings... Um, why give them the opportunity for sex at all? Why not just make us asexual? And what that does is that, yes, uh, rape is about power more than sex, but if you take away the sex component of it, there's no opportunity to violate a child. There's no opportunity to violate somebody else because there's no sex, and yet you still have the freedom to do all sorts of other things. So you can make the world potentially less bad just by making us asexual. Um, which some people are, what, by the way. But but off new children, like uh, 
like a plant or something. Yeah, you know. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. There, you know, I've got this little thing growing on the side of me. <laughs> that explains it. Yeah, <laughs> that explains the gut. <laughs> okay, it, maybe the reason God is so obsessed with sex is because He doesn't have anybody to have it with. Yeah, yeah. It's it's lonely at the top. Okay. Uh, from an atheist perspective, religions control reproduction because there's no God who can make tithers. Okay, one more. Um, what becomes of babies that die? They are born of a woman or man, therefore tainted with original sin, yet they cannot profess their mindless allegiance to Jesus Christ, their Savior. So by the doctrine, they burn in hell, right? Or they get a free pass to heaven, we think, maybe. I've never been more disappointed in my life than I am oh, right now, and it has nothing to do with Don. Oh, okay. We, Saturday, Beth and I were at the uh, Citywide Garage Sale. Uh-huh. And then after that, we went, went out and did some antique shopping and stuff. And Beth came across a little tiny book that was entirely about this subject. It's an antique. I don't know how. Did you buy it? You should have bought we, it. We should have bought it. Oh, my and goodness. we didn't. I don't know why we didn't. You should have bought it. Uh, maybe to the library here. Maybe I'll make a trip back to that antique store because it's probably still sitting there. But it was, uh, I think it was a Presbyterian booklet that mm-hmm. talked a whole lot. And they went through how children, when they get to heaven, how they are taught and educated and stuff so that they can, you know, get to a state of responsibility. The Catholic Church had created, you know, like limbo and other things as, a, as, a, as way stations for this. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a big deal. If you live in a world where you automatically view children as uh, at a different level of moral responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and innocent. Innocent. They don't understand. How can it possibly be just to send them to hell? But if this is also coupled with the idea that there is original sin and we are all born as sinners, now you have a conflict. How do you resolve it? Right. The, the truth is, while there are little books like that and different doctrines, the most common answer is we don't know. But because we believe that God is good, God will do the good thing. The right, God will do right the, by the, those the, little the babies. The good thing, right. So to unpack this just a little bit more, um, if if they're burning in hell, God's, God's a monster, right? Um, if, if they get a free pass to heaven, then abortion is clearly a good thing, right? And and killing children is, is just fine like Andrea Yates did. If you get them before the age of reason, when they can possibly go to hell. Yeah, even if it damns you to hell, wouldn't you know? If you had four kids, uh, who were all that's the greater good. Couldn't couldn't understand yeah. anything yet, and you sacrificed all of them so they'd go to heaven, and you'd go to hell. That would be a sacrifice. That'd be a sacrifice that trumps Jesus' bad weekend. <laughs> right. Fortunately, <laughs> human beings are better than the doctrines that they try to weasel their way around. Generally speaking, which is why we don't hear too much about that, because fundamentally, on some level, people know that even though this is the logical conclusion of their conflicting doctrines, that there's something still wrong with it. And it's why, you know, this prohibition against suicide, which has been popular more in Catholic doctrine than anything else, that it's a, you know, if you kill yourself, you're going to heaven because you're playing God, etc. They had to invent that. Yeah. Or, sorry, you're going to hell. Uh, they had to invent that because when people sat down to begin to reason about the impact of their doctrine, if I'm now in a good state with God and every second I continue to exist gives me a greater potential of sinning, shouldn't I off myself right now and go to heaven? This logical conclusion from the doctrines had to be fixed by making a new doctrine, which is, you know, 
Suicide's a bad thing. Yeah, and, and, and that shows that this is like band-aids upon band-aids trying to make a giant ball of something to, to heal a uh, mortal wound, as far as I'm concerned. So from an atheist perspective, threats of hell only make sense when the person being conned is an adult. It doesn't make sense with children. So finally, uh, theology itself is a failure. It's impressive who, to those who don't think, yet it ties itself up in knots. And I, you know, I think I've hit, hit on a lot of the high ones. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've actually not presented a whole bunch more. Uh, it raises more, pretend, more questions than it pretends to answer, begging for more theological rationalization, more Band-Aids, as, as Matt pointed out. And atheism, by, in contrast, provides simple, justified answers to these theological puzzles, showing theology to be intellectually and morally bankrupt. And that's a problem. That's a failure of theology and a failure of Christians who, who follow the theology. And by the way, there are plenty of other religions and theologies, and they don't suffer from all of these problems, although they do tend to suffer from other problems. And the biggest one is, do we have any good reason to think that it's true? Are you just offering your thoughts that have been passed down, that are antiquated, that are part of your history, that, you know, somebody sat around and wrestled with this problem. Yeah, and then we codified just-so story. Yeah, right. we, we codified their answer as the answer. And doesn't that keep you from looking for the right answer. I mean, if you've got the right answer, it should be demonstrable. It should be, we should be able to say, you know what, right. why, are things are the, uh, why are things the way they are, and here's why. Yeah, so it's a double tragedy. It's like you not only have the wrong answer, but you, you fail. It, it prevents you from looking for the right answer. <laughs> Isn't that sad? So on that note, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, move on to some callers here. The number's up uh, above Don's name, and... After the show's over, we get together for dinner at Star of India, which they will put up there uh, probably right now. See, look, look at that. There you go. Boy. Crack team of TV producers just on the I, other side I of that I thought you were just a prophet. Yeah, no, I, I'm just the guy who shows up and talks, which is a good reminder at the end of the show when the credits roll and you see the list of names of the people who are in the other room. Those are the ones who make the show happen, and Dawn makes the show happen by coming up with something for us to talk about. And I just sit here and talk. Oh, you do, you do a great job of well, that. Yeah. We, we, we love you, Matt. I, I can, okay. I let's, can talk. let's take a call. <laughs> and from Oakland, California, we've got men. Thanks for waiting. Oh, hello, Matt. Hello, Don. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, so uh, today is a good day to call because um, I think I, I owe you my ex- uh, explanation about the reason I believe and um uh, uh, before when I, you left me in uh, the show, I did not explain very well. So I feel like I had to uh, like analyze myself why I believe what I believe. So uh, I think I know the reason I want to tell you. So I hope you can give me some, some advice. Okay, because okay. what it says here is that you have a belief that you know is irrational. Right. But you want to make an argument for why it should be okay to believe something that you recognize as irrational? Uh, no, I, I, I don't want to make it okay, but I mean like if the um, the outcome from that irrational belief, in my view, is like the best outcome, then is it okay to hold that belief? Okay, so specifically... You'd have to. Yeah. So basically, you're saying, "Hey, I've got a, a belief, and it results in something good, and whether whether or not it's irrational shouldn't matter because the result is good, right?" Um, 
Yes. Okay. No. So yeah. first of all, you're, any any belief or action you take is likely to have multiple results, right? So how do you decide um, that, first of all, that a result is a good result? And second of all, why do you get to focus on the good result while ignoring all the potential bad results? Um, yeah, in order to explain to you this, and um, can I tell you about the, the experience I got? And so it, it will explain to you why I think, it's, is it the best uh, result? Sure, sure. just okay. we're going to try to keep it a little shorter today. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, so four years ago, you know, at the same time I got my uh, so-called spiritual experience in the Unitarian Church. Uh, it, it happened one day before Thanksgiving. Um, so I went to Costco and I helped this lady because I saw her struggled um, uh, carrying the turkey to her shopping cart. And normally, after I help someone randomly, I just walk away. And I feel like I've done my job. But this time, I, I stop because, you know, I follow my parents' seeking trade, and I thought, hmm, my parents always here with me uh, for Thanksgiving, but this time they stuck in Vietnam because for some family issue. And my, my, all my uncles are uh, outstay out too. And my boss allowed me to have uh, the day before Thanksgiving off. Um, so we, and men, he, 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 men yeah? we've already heard this story. We've already, um, we've already heard this story. Okay, yeah, so I'm sorry. We've already heard the story about helping somebody with turkey, about having the day off, and you seeing all the patterns that led to there has yeah. to be something behind all of this that caused this convergence of events, uh, and you want to attribute that to your spiritual experience at the UU Church. Yeah, so I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll skip all that. So the result is that, you know, so two months later when I uh, uh, received a letter from the, the person I helped, and she said that because uh, of the result, I helped her, and her children saw that, so they feel like um, a stranger. Pay, uh, why is that? Why is it remarkable? Ever? Why is it remarkable that if you help someone, they yeah. tell you that it helped them? You're, you're you're putting together a string of totally unremarkable things in order to try to construct a story to justify something as if this was all uh, amazing, but. If you help people, they tend to say thank you, or it's not at least uncommon that they might say thank you. Mm -hmm. And if you help someone, it's not uncommon that they might be grateful and explain how much you helped them or how how being thoughtful. I mean, I, I got a story from a friend of mine not too long ago that I've known for years that she had never relayed to me before, yeah. where somebody had been mean to her uh, one day, and the very next morning when I ran into her, I said something as nice as, you know, hey, beautiful, good morning. And that made up for and made her feel better about what happened with that individual. There's nothing about that that justifies an appeal to the supernatural or some kind of grand plan. It's just what happens in human interactions. If you're nice to somebody and they're grateful, there's nothing remarkable about that. But what you were, what we were trying to get to is this idea that mm -hmm. it's okay to have irrational beliefs if they lead, lead to good conclusions. Well, the problem there is this. Mm -hmm. What other conclusions do those irrational beliefs lead to? You don't get to just cherry pick out a good thing. I mean, 
if you think you're going to meet your relatives again in heaven, that might give you comfort here on earth. Right. So that would be a good thing. Whether it's true or not, that belief might make you feel better while you're here on earth. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Does that mean it's worthwhile to believe that you're going to meet them in heaven? Because if you ignore the other possible outcomes, you know, the fact that you feel good isn't based on something true. It's based on something that you don't have good reason to believe is true. And it may encourage you to not fix relationships in the one and only life you know you're going to get. If you think that you can, everything's going to be okay when you get to heaven, what motivation do you have to make them okay here and now? And if instead, if you're not convinced that you're going to spend eternity with them, aren't you more likely to focus on making things better now? Um, yeah. You know, I guess the thing is that, you know, I see, like, the difference between, like, being nice to somebody and being um, dedicated to the person. And, you know, it's not, I don't need to appeal into, you know, the firepower. You know, but you do. Good. That's the whole point of these calls is you do. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess the thing is because, uh, you know, like, uh, my parents raised me to be nice people. That's not difficult. Well, I guess because, you know, I embrace the pattern I'm seeking, so it gives me the sense like I have, you know, but it, you can't, you can't, we, we always are going to look for patterns. What you're doing, right. though, is finding a pattern and, and adding significance to it and trying to use it to justify a belief in something supernatural. Why? Um, yeah, uh, I think because, um, do you think you would stop being a good person and a helpful person if you didn't have a belief in God? No, I don't Then think let's so. agree that that is irrelevant to whether or not you believe in God and whether or not it's true. I think you would continue to be a good person, too. And it's because, as you pointed out, your parents raised you that way, and you've seen the positive benefits of being good to other people. So if being a good person... Um, isn't contingent upon whether or not you believe in God, then let's move on to why you believe. Uh, I think I believe because it's sort of like help me, help me like you, like stick with my conviction despite all the inconvenience. And even I put myself, you know, in danger to, 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 to do what I feel right. So that's, that's why I feel like if I just follow my, rationality, I feel like I may not, you know, dedicate myself completely to the person I help. Um, so if you if you remember about the, the, the example I told you about the friend I help, the one I brought 60 miles to help, um, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like because I have a destiny to help him, so that's why I... What, what makes you think you have a destiny to help? Um, what makes you think about destiny? Like Destiny implies that you, you, you aren't making a decision here. If you, as soon as you right. say, I have a destiny to do this, it makes it seem like, why would I applaud someone for doing what was unavoidable? Instead, I'd rather applaud the people who, you know, don't think that they're doing it because they have a destiny, but because they recognize that it makes the world a better place to live in. Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I think the thing is because what I like about you is that you can, you know, have a passion for something and you can be rational, but for me it's kind of, I guess, difficult for me to think straight and also 
feel like follow what what I think right and stick with it, no matter you know what my head told me. Like it can give me like something, uh, you know, disadvantage to my uh, circumstance. Here, here's the um, th- here's the thing, man. Imagine yeah. that you had a a lucky rabbit's foot, and you had decided that whenever you were carrying this lucky rabbit's foot, you ran across people who needed help, and you helped them. Mm-hmm. And it improved the world. And so you started giving credit to this lucky rabbit's foot for keeping you, you, you laugh. You just laughed. But you, how is this fundamentally different from what you're saying about a God belief? Do you have reason? Uh, do, are you convinced that rabbit's feet aren't lucky? I guess not. Okay. And yeah. do, if, if this was what your particular, you know, totem was that was keeping you you're like oh i don't think i would be good to people if it weren't for the fact that i had my lucky rabbit's foot okay well you can make an argument that having a lucky rabbit's foot and believing that it's helping is now a good thing because it's encouraging you to to make better decisions decisions you like to make and that result in a better world but the truth is the rabbit's foot has nothing to do with it so wouldn't it be better wouldn't it be even better to say hey i don't need this crutch I can just recognize that I'm doing good for the sake of doing good. And also, by the way, this maintaining this lucky rabbit's foot crutch means that we're killing off rabbits (laughs) to give me something to put in my pocket to justify why I want to be a decent person. Am I maybe ignoring some other harm that comes from this? Am I maybe ignoring the potential harm from believing in things that aren't true? The fact that you attribute something to your lucky rabbit's foot or your God is completely separate right. from whether or not that's justified. And when you ask questions about, hey, it may be irrational, but it's got a good result, have you thought of all the possible results? and Or are you just cherry-picking out the thing that you like and then rationalizing why it's a good thing? Yeah, I, I, yeah you, you're right. I think I may, I, perhaps I am cherry-picking. But Matt, so can you help me with this? So, you know, if you are in my situation, do you think that you can use your rationality, rationality and um, say that, you know, I, I will help my friend, but even though I know that I only sleep like five hours and I have to drive. But you know that what? Over my, sorry, what? I, I, didn't, I didn't catch the last part of your sentence. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So do, so do you think that you can, do you think it's possible that, if I am, you know, a, become a rational person, and that means I have to balance between what is cause harm to me and what cause good to the person, or do you think that I can be rational and at the same time I'm, I can, you know, well let, let's myself. let's forget let's forget and, what I think for a second, and do you yeah. think that it's possible to be rational and still exercise empathy and be a decent person? Yes. Then why are you even asking the question? You, you answered it yourself. Rationality does not mean that you lose your empathy. It doesn't turn you into robots. And being rational doesn't mean that, oh, now all of a sudden there's a conflict with being good. Because if it's rational to encourage good in the world because we all benefit from it, then that's the rational conclusion. And I don't need a lucky rabbit's foot or a god to tell me that right. it's better to encourage a world that is better. You, yeah. you have this fear that if you uh, actually think about things rationally, that you will lose empathy, that you will lose this this feeling that you have for the world. 
And yet when asked directly about it, you recognize that this is absurd. So stop living in fear of what behaving rationally might look like and behave rationally. Yes. Um, I think the problem with me is that if I feel like I don't lose my empathy for people, but the thing is if I want to, you know, dedicate myself to for a cause, and even though I know I will be, you know, in difficult, in difficult uh, circumstance, I still do it because I know it's right. So I don't know, like, you know, being rational means like, I have to balance between, okay, if I do good for this person, will I get anything harm to me or or should I just go for it and you know ignore all well, you the, should you should you just know. think about it a little bit and and you know look for yeah. look for problems you know people people don't always make the very very best decision because they don't have enough knowledge to do so um, you people make contingently good decisions you know uh, you know I, I try to do this versus that and you know we're all struggling with how to how to uh, improve the world as far as say uh, the global warming thing right and and right. the, there's a million little decisions that you make during the day that, that might make a positive impact there. And it, just think about it some. Try to be conscious. Try to be aware. Um, that's all you can do. You know, we're all human. We're all fallible. We all make mistakes. You know, just try. That's, that's all anybody's asking. If you go back and listen to this call, mm-hmm. I think what you will hear is on one occasion you expressed concern that if you thought rationally that this would fundamentally change whether or not you would consistently be a decent person. And you also expressed that you had no reason to think that behaving rationally was going to be in conflict with you being a a decent person. You are incredibly conflicted. And here's the thing. Here's the dirty secret. And I'm sorry to do this to you, but it's time to pull the scales from your eyes. Yeah, go ahead. If you simultaneously believe both of those two conflicting positions you don't actually believe in what you think you believe in. Instead, you're engaging in what Dennett Dennett called belief in belief. You think there's something important about believing, and so you don't believe it because it's true. You believe it because you think it's valuable. But you don't actually believe it because you think it's valuable. You act as if you believe it, and you profess belief in it because you see a value in those things. If there was a God... Do you think that you could fool him by saying, well, I acted like I believed because I thought it would encourage me to be a good person? Um, that's not going to that's not going to fool God. You're engaged in, in a level of self-deception that allows you to avoid the consequences, because here's the thing. Lucky rabbit's foot, lucky rabbit's feet are different from a belief in a God that is tied to a church. Because let's say I'm convinced that this you church, this Catholic church, this Baptist church, has the right religion or the version of religion, the understanding of God that's consistent with what I believe. And I believe it because I'm convinced that it makes me a good person. So when this church is in trouble, what do I do? Well, I try to help out and perhaps I give them money and perhaps they're using that money to shuffle pederasts around from vicinity to vicinity or to make the preachers rich. Maybe they're doing good things with the money. Maybe they're not doing good things with the money. But if you just blindly tie, I want to be a good person, and therefore I need to believe in a God, and that leads me to this church, it's this cascade based on your presupposition that belief is good that leads to much bad. And I'm saying keep the good, get rid of the bad wherever you find it, in a religion, in a philosophy, in yourself, in the world. 
Okay. Um, yeah, so Matt, thank you so much. So just one final point, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you another caller. Thank you so much. Uh, so, you know, like in the example I gave you earlier, that, you know, because after I drove my friend home and I, he told me that I don't have to help him, the, you know, on the day uh, tomorrow, uh, he could he could do it himself, but because you know I feel like you know I have an obligation because, like you said, I have presupposition that I yes have a destiny to do it. So that's that's why I, I know that I will have to sleep less time. I have to drive a long way. I have to wake up early. I have to drink coffee to stay sober. But I still do it because I had a passion to do it. So that's why I'm concerned. You know, is there if anything rationally? Is no, there no. anything with regard to doing good that you yeah. do that I couldn't do or that Don couldn't do? Do you think we're less likely to be good people? Uh, no. There's your answer. The God okay. belief, the God belief isn't in any way tied to whether or not you're a decent human being. And you are, and I appreciate the calls, man, but we're going to take some more of them. Thanks for calling in again. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Don. See you. Thank you. Bye. It's it's one of those things where religions have kind of poisoned people's mind to think, oh, the atheists are the evil people, or you don't have any morals. You know, you listen to some jackass mm-hmm. like Steve Harvey who thinks he's funny, and right. oh, where did he get his moral compass from? Well, if you never had a conversation with, oh, I don't know, an atheist or anybody into moral philosophy, maybe you'd know, Steve, instead of just doing Family Feud and disparaging people for believing things that you don't or not believing things that you do. Yeah, and, and striving to be rational doesn't mean you're a robot. Yeah. Um, I'm a very empathetic person myself, and... and uh, you know, you have to balance that out. I mean, being being rational is sort of trying to understand the effects of your actions and trying to do something worthwhile with those things, yeah. uh, making make a positive impact on the world because its time is short. The only thing you need to do to care about making the world better is to realize that you live in it. You can be entirely selfish and still do incredibly good things because you benefit. And you suffer based on the decisions that you and everyone else in the world make. This stuff is not hard. But the but religions have portrayed non-believers as if if we lose God, it's going to be chaos, That's and there's right. going to be cats murdering sleeping and with dogs, and, and oh my gosh, the gay people might do stuff. <laughs> oh no! Like be able to buy a cake. <laughs> oh no! How, how dare they be able to buy a cake? <laughs> Somebody might actually get birth control. <laughs> what, a, what a travesty that would be. The people whose uterus looks like a clown car with kid after kid after kid coming out. That's somebody else's joke, by the way. I just That's can't a good remember. one. I love it. I, I can't remember who, and I'm sure I'll get an email uh, about that. Um, but, yeah. I'll get emails from that, and I'll also um, get the hate mail about the pedophile thing okay. and all that stuff. Okay. But let's get on to other callers. Okay. Hey, buddy in Hollywood, thanks for waiting. Hey, Matt and Don. Hey. Uh, top of the uh, weekend to you there from Southern California. Great. What's up? Well, I uh, just wanted to give you guys, first of all, some big props. Uh, you and Don and Tracy and Jen and Russell, you guys do such a great job. I don't know if you get really enough credit for it, but uh, you're a really valuable resource to uh, people that are interested in atheism. And uh, a little bit about me, I was raised a Christian, uh, was made to go to church, 
and I uh, went to a Christian university where I studied the Bible, and honestly, after about two pages of Genesis, I was pretty much done. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard you see, that before. You see, you, you could have started that earlier and, and, and you know, gotten out of there earlier. Well, it was kind of a gut feel, kind of a gut feel thing, you know, and yeah. and that's kind of where I've been coming from as an atheist up until the advent of the internet. Of course, it was a lot of bother to do the kind of research. And my question for you today, in this sort of a serendipitous way, uh, kind of has to do with this this intense grasp and base of knowledge that we we have to have as atheists to to talk to the failure of theism, but. Uh, you know, after I got out of college, I was in the music business. That's how I ended up out here in L.A. And a few years ago, I started an Internet channel called Old Fart Rants, and I do rants about politics and religion. And I started getting a lot of viewers and got more interested in looking for better resources to kind of up my game. And honestly, I, I came across you guys, Matt. It was a thumbnail of you and Aaron Raw. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> When I saw it, I said, oh, my God, there's a couple of guys that run a head shop and are doing a TV show in their class. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. But, I, but I it might look that way. I don't, <laughs> I don't actually run a head shop, but I have some friends who do. But anyway, you, know, you can't judge a book by its cover, that's for sure. And also, Matt, I see you're a, I see you're a musician. you got a nice Martin guitar and a banjo. We could probably talk about music some other time. Yeah, but I anyway, wouldn't say I'm a musician at all. I like to piddle around. That's well, all it. right. Well, then you're but we'll, we'll set that aside and, and get to the thing that's relevant to the show rather than how crappy okay. I am on a stringed instrument. Well, here, here it is, basically. I found that I've got a dynamite question that I asked Theus, and I, this is basically what it is. Uh, if they can cite any evidence that's contemporaneous outside the Bible that would validate any supernatural claim in it, and I suggest the resurrection since that would be the most likely one, and not none of them have been able to answer the question, and it occurred to me that, you know, short of direct irrefutable proof, which is, of course, their bur- the theist burden, uh, which ties into your subject matter from earlier, um, you know, the fact that we have to do all these gyrations to deal with all that, you know, the lack of direct proof, that's pretty much the end of the argument. So what I was hoping to hear you guys discuss is, um, you know, we're basically moving the goalposts for them immediately by just saying, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll forego that and talk about all this other stuff, you know, apologetics and presuppositionalism and whatnot. And aren't we really giving up a lot of ground by doing that? No. But we, I'll let no. Don answer. Well, I, I'd say we're not giving up ground. I, th- I think what we're doing is we're trying to meet them where they are, um, and 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 nudge them a little bit closer to where we are. Uh, and and if that involves simplifying things and 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 saying conditionally, yeah, I'll accept that as true. Then let's focus on this. We have to do that a lot, I think, just to get people to 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 start to make the steps. So, I completely agree with Don, because first of all, saying, hey, you don't have any proof, well, that's not going to change their mind. I mean, it, well, it, cert- it certainly feels good to you to know that I'm not going to believe this until you've got, you know, really good, strong evidence for it, but it doesn't do anything to help them at all. And the other thing is... Well, obviously, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, uh, facilitate any debating either, which is the, the obvious point. Of course, if you yeah. stop there, there's nothing to discuss. But, you know, I guess more really what I was saying was more like, you know, how can we kind of impart that back to them? So, 
maybe they get a sense that, you know, I mean, well, you know, Matt, you're, you guys are very skilled. Uh, I mean, look at, look at how much, uh, you know, knowledge and the grasp of the, the subject that you have. Um, it's very impressive. And, and, you know, when these theists, um, you know, I, I just think we're kind of letting them off the hook. Um, but I understand what you're saying. You know, I, I don't. I don't know how we are in any way letting them off the hook, because if we're going to be talking about the value of critical thinking and skepticism, if we're going to be talking about the value of logical reasoning, and they come and present what they think is a reasonable, sound argument, if instead we just say, "Well, you don't have any proof of that," not only have we not done anything to move the conversation forward, but we've actually ignored what they've presented. And it's far better, in my estimation, to look at what they've presented and point out why there's a problem. Oh, you've got a logical fallacy here. Oh, you've made this you know, wrong presupposition here. Or this is unjustified. Um, because that is edifying. That is how people begin to understand the subjects. If I was a Christian and believed this for really bad reasons, I don't think that I believe for bad reasons. I think that I have good reasons. And if somebody merely tells me, oh, you don't have good reasons and doesn't explain why my reasons aren't good, then I'm still going to stay a believer. I need to have an understanding of why the reasons I'm giving aren't sufficient, why they don't justify my belief. And so here's an interesting thing. Somebody suggested the other day that I just go ahead and set up a debate, which, by the way, I don't do. Somebody else sets up debates. I just show up. Uh, but they wanted me to do a debate where perhaps I should just go ahead and concede some God exists in order to debate whether or not the God that exists is their God. Now, I'm not completely opposed to doing that because you can, for the sake of argument, adopt a premise and say, you know, I would rather do it as accepting that God exists and using that as a premise to get to a reducto ad absurdum to show that it can't be the case. But... We do do that. It, when I did a debate about the resurrection, I didn't concede that God exists. I, I, when, when I did the debate on the resurrection, I conceded that we're not going to discuss whether or not a God exists, but whether or not one does, did this happen? Um, I don't want to go so far as to actually concede, oh, yes, for the sake of arguments, let's begin with some God exists, and then we'll find out if it's yours. I think that would be giving up uh, too much ground, but also I don't think it's outside the realm of uh, possibility for a debate that you could get to something good to show that, you know, the, because take William Lane Craig, who uses his version of the Kalam cosmological argument. The conclusion of that argument is, therefore, God exists. But the type of God that that argument presents isn't... Doesn't have any relation to Christianity. Yeah, he's got to add a bunch of stuff to it. So there's a lot more leaps of faith involved. If to, you were to if you were tired that. of going through the Kalam, you could say, okay, let's just concede the Kalam and some God exists. Now tell us how you got to Jesus. I think you could do that for the sake of debate. I'd just rather not. But to just say, well, you don't have evidence. Not only is it not convincing, but they think you're wrong. And when you do that, they're now convinced that you are closed-minded and deceived and not open to considering the evidence. And so showing that you, right. I can be open-minded and I can consider what you say as evidence and reach the conclusion that it's not sufficient uh, seems to me to be preferable. Right. Well, it's, it is really frustrating, though, because, like, with the resurrection, I mean, obviously, you know, there would have been records 
by at least one guy somewhere. Well, they think there are um, records by four guys or more. Yeah, but all after the fact and unverifiable guys. Okay, so well, in, 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 in early, in first century Palestine, how many people were literate enough to write that down? Why do you think that there should be a record, and why do you think it should have survived for 2,000 years? Well, I mean, you would think that, you know, somebody would have, one guy somewhere would have written something down. I mean, Yeah, but what makes you think that would survive? And if one guy wrote it down and it survived 2,000 years, what makes you, why, why would that be any more believable than, than the recordings that the Christians think they have? Well, at least it would be something from the time, the contemporaneous time. But well, the, the, the writings in the Gospels are within, you know, 70 to 100 years. Yeah, I was thinking more at the same time. But you're being you're being anachronistic though, because nowadays everything gets written down and gets written down and published right away. Even sometimes while it's being spoken, Trump did a a thing with the New York Times, and somebody was live tweeting out what he said while he was in the room saying it. You can't take the modern world and lay that onto you know the first century when stories were passed around by word of mouth and almost nobody wrote and nobody read. So it's 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 an anachronistic fa- uh, fallacy to apply modern ideas about how information gets transferred uh, and, and say, well, why don't we have a record of this? By the way, the way around this, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sitting here demolishing he's, he's playing, what you're saying. playing devil's advocate a bit. <laughs> the, way, the way around this is if Jesus was rec- resurrected and is God and this message is important, then it should be absolutely trivial that we have lots of accounts because God would preserve those accounts and God would make sure that we weren't getting anonymous records that were copies of copies of translations of copies because he wouldn't want people to be able to poke such easy holes into it. That's, then we wouldn't that's have response. faith. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, but it, a lot of it just depends on the goals. And like Don said, mm-hmm. meeting them where they are is the only way that you're going to make inroads into potentially changing their mind or changing other people's mind that agree with them. Right. It's it's tough, though, as you well know. I mean, at the end of the day, whatever the debate is or whatever the discussion is, you know, they can always go back to, well, you have to have faith thing. And uh, you're right back where you started again. So, But anyway, listen, guys, I appreciate uh, some time with you today. And um, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you take your next call. But thanks so much. Yeah, you guys are great. Sure. And, thanks, buddy. Uh, keep, keep, keep it up, okay? Thanks, buddy. Appreciate sure. it. Thank you. Whoops. I thought you were done. Uh, we got James in Knoxville. Thanks for waiting. Oh, okay. I'm going to put you back on hold. Can the call screener talk to James? Let him know to turn the stream down, and we'll get to him soon. Uh, Carl, we got. Oh yeah, we got Carl in Oklahoma. Hello, Hello? Carl. Hi. Hi, you got Matt and Don here. How are you? Hi, Matt. Uh, great. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. What do you got for us today? Well, I'm well. Actually, I'm open to any questions you have for me. I'm a non-denominational uh, Christian. Okay. Well, that's that's kind of interesting because so this is a call-in show, and the, the the question we ask is, "What do you believe, and why do you believe it?" I believe in God, obviously. Um, okay. Why? And and you probably why? have to define God. Because there's, you know, thousands of different versions of Christianity that disagree yeah. on everything. But well, so give uh, give us a rough description it. of the God you believe in, and then you can explain why. Okay. Well, God is the one who created the whole universe, who created you and me, and uh, 
he is the only god that I know that has a son, you know, besides Greek mythology. But anyways, uh, so so, so we're already into really weird territory because you say that God is the only God you know of that has a son. How many gods do you know of? I don't believe in any other gods, but there's other gods that are considered gods, but they're actually false gods. Okay. How did you determine uh, that yours is the true God and that the other gods are false gods? Because they're not real. They're actually... Seriously. uh, They're not real. That's how you determined it. How did you determine yours was real? See, the the question had two parts of why do you not believe these other gods and why do you believe this? And if your reason for believing this is because the other ones are wrong, that's a fallacy. Yes. Okay. You're right. So, well, what the way I explain it, yes. So, why do you believe? Well, number one, it starts with faith, and two. Why would you? Why would you believe anything? I, we're we're done at number one. We're done yeah. at number one. Why would you believe yeah, anything? Faith is, is a good faith? way to be wrong. Is there any? Is there <laughs> any position? <laughs> is there any position yeah. that that I couldn't take based on faith? Couldn't, is there any position that you could? That you could not take based on faith? Right. If you begin with faith, couldn't I believe all those gods you just dismissed? Or couldn't I pick one of those gods you dismissed and believe it based on faith as a, as a primary foundation? You could, yeah. Sure. So doesn't that mean that faith is not a good foundation for determining what's true or not true? Not so. It, okay, it's, that so. Does, it's not what it means? So faith, faith can be used to both believe a true thing and a not true thing. And you yeah. think that this doesn't demonstrate that faith is an unreliable path to truth? Well, the Bible says that faith pleases God, I, I, and uh, Jesus said to Thomas. He, I, I asked Thomas, a different question. Jesus, I asked. I don't know why you're going to the Bible at all. We're talking about the foundations of epistemology here, about how we determine what is likely to be real. And if your method, your primary method of faith, can lead you both to something that is true and something that's not true, then doesn't that mean that faith is an unreliable path to truth? Uh, no. I don't Why? understand. If 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 I can flip a coin to make a decision and it can lead me to the correct decision and an incorrect decision, doesn't that mean that flipping a coin is an unreliable path to the correct decision? Okay, so that was a yes or no if question. You, if you turn your phone, that on. was a yes or no question. Okay, what was the question again? If I can flip a coin. And based on its outcome, it can lead me to a correct decision and an incorrect decision. Doesn't that mean that flipping a coin is an unreliable method to reach the correct decision? True. Okay. Substitute, is, substitute the word faith for coin and answer the same question. Because you've already acknowledged <laughs> that faith can lead you to Yahweh and can lead me to Zeus or any of a hundred other gods. If faith can lead to those, to any of those conclusions, then how is it a reliable pathway to truth if it can lead me? By the way, let's say there is a thousand different proposed gods, and only one of them is real. And we can use faith to get to any of them. Then you've got a one in a thousand shot, which is way worse than a coin toss, of getting the correct position yeah. based on faith, right? But there's tens of thousands yeah. of gods. So oh, yeah. now does that demonstrate that faith is not a reliable path to truth? Well, there's also proof. You have proof also. Hang on. Just, just, just <laughs> let, let's finish this point, and then we can move on to the next one. We, I'll let you go. Okay. I'm not just going to hang up as soon as you acknowledge okay. that faith is a crappy path to truth. <laughs> I just would like you to acknowledge that the argument's yeah. been made and that you agree with it. Okay. So is faith a reliable pathway to truth? 
Uh, to some, no, but to to others, yes. Why, why are we hedging here? No, we're done. I, I well, I, I promised I would let you go on, but all right. So okay. faith, faith can sometimes Correct. lead you to Correct. truth. Correct. And faith Correct. can sometimes lead you to something that's not true. Yes. Which means that faith is not a reliable path to truth, right? You can't just roll faith out like that, though. The fuck you can. <laughs> okay. I'm now, sorry that logic. Ask, I'm sorry that. I'm now. sorry that logic demolishes your position. But that's not our problem. The, the problem I'm having now is that when you've been exposed to a syllogism, to a illogical position that shows that your foundation is flawed, instead of acknowledging it, you want to come up with an ad hoc, just, oh, well, you can't get rid of faith that way. It's dishonest. It, it's incredibly dishonest to have your position demonstrably shown to not be reliable, and you acknowledge this, and then want to try to rehabilitate it. Now, you're welcome to make an argument for faith is reliable, why faith is reliable in your case, but if you aren't willing to acknowledge that faith isn't reliable generally, then I don't know how we continue. Any one-sided argument sounds good if it's one-sided. I haven't got to speak yet. <laughs> oh, you're wrong. Any one-sided argument doesn't sound good. You presented a one-sided argument, and we demolished it. Now you can go on to present another one-sided argument, because you said we begin with faith, and faith is not a reliable pathway to truth. You presented an argument, and I answered questions. There's a difference. No, I presented a response to your argument, and you dodged the answer over and over until I held your feet to the fire. You wanted to go to the Bible. You wanted to go to any other thing other than answering the question about epistemology, which is completely independent of any religion. How do we reliably find a pathway to truth? Is faith a reliable path to truth? That was a question for you. Is faith the reliable path to truth? I didn't say the, I said A, but I'll go with either one. Okay, uh, not always. Okay, do you know, do you understand what not always means? Sometimes, and sometimes it does. So yeah. therefore it's not reliable, right? <laughs> so then it's not reliable, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. thank you. Next. Sometimes, sometimes we got to parse the sentences here. Jesus. <laughs> hey, l listen to me, though. Listen to me, though. If if you turn on your phone. Uh, my phone's on. It turns on. Okay. But why do you think the phone will turn on, though? Why because I... it did the last 10 million times you turned it on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so but how do you know for sure it's going to turn on? You don't on? know for sure. You don't know anything for sure. When I push the so button. You, what do you have? Carl, when I push the button on my phone, I'm not in any way saying, I know for sure this phone will turn on. Because you know what? Sometimes it doesn't. What I'm saying when I push the button into my phone is I have a reasonable expectation of how likely my phone is to turn on based on how many times in the past it has turned on and how many times it hasn't, and that the world continues to be roughly consistent. But I'm not expressing absolute certainty at all. I am apportioning my confidence level in something to the evidence that supports us. This is what Hume taught us about epistemology. The wise man proportions his belief to the evidence. So you want to use this example of how do you know your phone's going to turn on? Well, I'm not, I'm not saying that I know my phone's going to turn on if you require absolute certainty. What I'm saying is based on all the information I have, there's a very strong likelihood that my phone will turn on. And you know what? When it doesn't turn on, I don't go, oh, it's a miracle. 
God must have done it. I yeah. go, damn, the there's, battery there's must also, be dead. There must be something wrong. There's also an equivocation yeah. going on here. You know, when we're talking faith, we're talking uh, belief in something without sufficient evidence. If yeah. you've got evidence, yeah. present that. You know, if you've got a solid yeah. reason, faith faith is faith is uh, the reason people give when they don't have good evidence. Yeah, there's no faith involved yeah. here. As a matter of fact, we can take my phone and we can put it in a laboratory setting and we can turn it off and we can turn it on and we can do this over and over again and we can determine how reliable this phone is, plus or minus some error percentage, and that is how confident we should be in the reliability of turning the phone right. on. Phones exist, on, off, Here's a question. <laughs> How many times okay. have we demonstrated that a God actually exists? We haven't demonstrated yet. So, I can demonstrate that my phone turns on at least once. I can demonstrate that it mm. turns on repeatedly. I can put together a probabilistic assessment of my phone. Can we do any such thing for God? You, you're comparing natural things uh, with supernatural things. No, so I asked together. a question. Can I do any such thing for God? What was the question again? I'm focused on what I have to say. So your answer, your answer is no, which is why you objected by saying I'm comparing natural things to supernatural things. But here's the dirty little secret, Carl. I didn't bring up the phone. You did. You're the one that is trying mm-hmm. to falsely compare supernatural things to natural things, as if there's no distinction, as if the faith in the God belief is the same as the faith that I'm turning my phone on, and that is a false equivalency. That's why I asked the question, please, have we ever demonstrated that a God existed? We have not yet. Correct. And if we haven't demonstrated this yet, what possible reason could one have to believe that a God does exist? Yeah, I understand. Okay, that was actually a question. Yeah, I understand. Uh, doesn't really answer that question. What possible reason could we have to believe that something is true when we have no demonstration of it? Well, you have you don't know until it's demonstrated in right. front of you. All right, but I didn't ask whether or not you knew. I asked what possible reason could we have for believing it until it's been demonstrated. Well, if you rule out faith, you don't have a reason. Correct. And here's the thing. You called us, and mm-hmm. you believe. And you begin with a belief yeah. based on faith. And you acknowledge yeah. that faith isn't a path to truth, and you acknowledge that we haven't demonstrated that a God believed, and when asked what reason you have for believing it, you go back to faith. Do you not see the problem there? Uh, I see the problem with your understanding. Okay. What's the problem with my understanding, then, since you see that? Okay. So, if I pray to a God, you know, through my faith, if I pray to God, and my prayer doesn't get answered, should I be discouraged? Or if your phone doesn't turn on, should you be discouraged that your phone doesn't turn on? How is that in well, any way an explanation? You have, you have, How is this an explanation of what I don't understand, Carl? Do what? How is this an explanation? You said you, you see my failure in understanding, and I asked you what that was. And you begin with... If I pray and I don't get an answer, should I be discouraged? How is that in any way an explanation of what I don't understand? Yeah. That's what I thought. Thanks, Carl. If you... 
tell me that you understand what I don't understand. And the next words out of your mouth demonstrate that you're not actually going to address what it is that I don't understand, but you're going to go on to make yet one more attempt to rehabilitate. Oh, it's faith. Well, it's not always faith. It's reason. Well, if you don't have reason, it's faith. Well, why should I be discouraged just because my prayer wasn't answered? The question here is not whether or not you should be discouraged because a prayer wasn't answered, but whether or not you have any reason to believe that your prayer was likely to be answered in the first place. And if you tell somebody that you understand why you see the thing that they don't understand and you don't present that when offered, you're no longer arguing honestly. And it's transparent to everybody who... The, watch the com. I don't pay that much attention. To, watch the comments of this on YouTube. Watch people who t- actually analyze this discussion. You called us because you were prepared to defend the hard questions about Christianity, and you couldn't even defend the simplest questions, which is why do you have any reason to believe, other than to acknowledge you really didn't, but you're not one to get discouraged when prayers aren't answered. We've been arguing about these things forever. There are apologists who spend their entire life training, and these people, some of them, actually have a good understanding of epistemology. There are others who are dilettantes, and then there are people like you who are convinced that they have a good reason for belief because they've never actually spent time thinking about or discussing how we go about to get to reasonable beliefs, which is why you can begin with, oh, well, you start with faith. What good is faith? There's no demonstrable pathway to truth. Hey, white people are better than black people. I'm just going to take that on faith. Gay people are an abomination. I'm just going to take that on faith. Hey, we should vote this way. I'm just going to take it on faith. My phone's going to turn on. Yeah, it ends up I being just take an, it on faith. An echo chamber of your own mind and your own beliefs and your own your own biases and your own things that you want to want to believe. Wishful thinking. The question that we ask has two prongs. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? I put it to you that through that entire call, there was not one demonstration of a sincere attempt to answer the second part. Instead, the first part was just reformed and rephrased over and over again. Here's what I believe. Why? Well, you take it on faith. That's just an assertion that what you believe is believable or that you believe what you believe. It's not, a, it's not an answer to why. Well, I shouldn't get discouraged if prayers aren't answered. Okay. What caused you to get encouraged in the first place? Was there a prayer answered? Do you have some? And if that was the case, then why didn't you present that at the beginning? Why didn't you say, I believe because the God of the universe is self-evident. When people call you and say, look at the trees, what they're talking about is the obvious elements of nature that scream to the truth that a God exists. And here's how we can present evidence for this. And here's how we can present an argument that shows that the world was intelligent. You're not even a dilettante. What you are is somebody who sincerely believes and you're so cocksure in your belief that you're willing to call up a show and say, come on, ask me the tough questions when you haven't even spent time thinking about the easy ones. So do that. Think about the easy ones, find answers, then think about the tough ones, find answers, and then call back and really explain why it is that I'm wrong, what it is that I don't understand. That would be helpful for both of us. But calling in to say, well, you got to start with faith. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that we can actually have conversations and make points about the unreliability of appeals to faith, I would just hang up on everybody when they called in and made an appeal to faith. I would. Hey, why do you believe in a God? Oh, I just have faith. Goodbye. I'd actually like to get on to an actual discussion. Faith is useless. 
Faith isn't a virtue. But this is where a lot of people are. They, yeah. they, they, they put a lot of faith in faith, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word. But, uh, yeah, so uh, they want to believe. They want to think that their prayers are going to be answered. They want to, you know, they want to say that this investment they've put in, their religious belief has not been in vain. Um, but, you know, it's uh, a lot of us have... Uh, released our shackled and 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 learned that 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 that's not a not a way to the truth it's not the way to figure out what's going on in the world and we you know are are better off for it we're we're happier as atheists yeah but i like the call i like the call because it allows us to get to those points there's a lot of people who are in that position um and i'd like to think that there are people watching at home who thought that perhaps that was a good answer until it was exposed not to the one thing we know is that once you've made a public profession of what you believe, you are less likely to change your mind. You are more likely to double down. And in the face of expositions of fallacies and poor thinking, you are going to find some, try to find some way to rehabilitate what you think. We know that happens. And I don't begrudge him one bit um, for being in that position. On the other hand, if you're just going to talk in, in a circle and if you're not going to actually give a reason, then we need to move on to potentially other people who will. We got Tom in, uh, is it Oregon? Yeah, yeah, Myrtle Point, Oregon. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for waiting. I got to say, I've been watching. It's the first time I've watched it. Um, you guys have the patience of Job. <laughs> yeah, we get screwed over just about as much as Job. Well. No, I'm kidding. Well, I, I, nobody's been screwed over as, as much as Job and, that's involved in our show anyway. Well, you guys are pretty intimidating, too. I, I don't know if I can offer any challenge at all, but I do have some questions about natural selection. Okay, so here's one thing. None of us are biologists. <laughs> well, same here. And uh, also... It may not be so much on the bio- biological level. Uh, I, I just, I'm just wondering, I, I think, uh, and don't, I don't know if I'm quoting you or not, but um, natural selection is a... Uh, um, unavoidable component of the mechanicism in evolution. Is that right? Yeah, Darwinian, the Darwinian model is evolution by means of natural selection. But all that natural selection means is that, hey, you live in a world that is dynamic and has certain characteristics. It's going to favor some individuals and not favor others based yep. on... Hey, if you, if you blend in really well with your background, you're more likely to survive long enough to have offspring, and those offspring are going to have those traits, whereas if you don't blend in so well with the background, you're more likely to be killed uh, before you get to have offspring. And so over a long period of time, changes are driven by natural selection. And by the way, the world we live in is dynamic. So what, what was favored or not selected against Three million years ago, two million years ago, is different from what might be favored or selected it against now. That's it. That's all natural selection is. Okay. Um, I guess this is where my question is, and I, I've done a little bit of this on uh, some Facebook debate pages, and I just get called an idiot a lot, so this might be really stupid, but uh, um, what is the source of natural selection? Does it have a source? The physical facts about reality are natural selection. It's, it's, I, I'm not quite it's sure the what you environment mean by in which these individuals find themselves. 
It, so natural well, selection it is, seems like that's more of the effect of natural selection, and and I'm just wondering if it has a like a gene source or a, the, the, a DNA the effect. Source, the effect uh, is whether or not the, the the individual reproduces or not. The cause is you know what sort of uh, environmental factors, whether whether uh, weather, yeah, the weather, the you know, hey, this this animal had you know, is it, yeah, is it grew, grew more fur and survived better in a colder climate, and another one didn't. That is a part of natural selection. Hey, this animal uh, had uh, features that allowed it to survive when another one didn't. It's not natural selection is not like this hovering entity source to say, oh, you live and you die. It's just descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It is descriptive of what happens. That there's nobody picking and choosing which communities, which populations live and die, but that this is a result of what happened in the natural world. Weather changed. Uh, communities were isolated, and therefore that caused inbreeding or changes in this. There's no... I mean, the, the source is nature, but it's not... It's not like evolution it's not, it's has a conscious, goal. right? Well, that's that's kind of kind of where I'm going here. Okay. Um, it, it seems like I've heard, I read, like in Dawkins's book, The God Delusion, that that um, natural selection has attributes of a mind, like it makes decisions. No, nope. uh, it's ele- it's elegant. Uh, those kind of things. Um, elegant is not an attribute of a, of a these mind. Are, these it's are metaphors, kinds of things. and don't read too much into them. Yeah. So so this idea that. You could look at almost anything as having the attributes of a mind in a dynamic world where things are interacting. You could look at it as if decisions are being made, but that's not what's happening, and that's not certainly not what Dawkins is happening. And by the way, if, if you if you want to understand natural selection, um, don't read the God Delusion. Read one of the seventeen other books that Richard's written about evolutionary biology. Uh, from the selfish gene, the extended phenotype is probably not 17 books. Read Jerry Coyne's "Why You Know uh, Why Evolution Why is Evolution True." Is true mm-hmm. And and these other things because scientists, when they're okay, we're not always good at describing and communicating science to the general public who may not understand it. And so occasionally we will talk about things. Not we, because I'm not a scientist, but scientists will talk about things in a metaphoric sense to try to make it digestible. Um, when you talk about DNA, for example, there are plenty of scientists who will say DNA is like the code or the the book of life. Well, it's not actually a book, and it's not a code in the sense that it was communicated by a mind. What it is is information that follows the laws of physics and chemical interactions that allow reproduction of uh, deoxyribonucleic acid. But Intelligence. I guess what I'm wondering, if you forgive me for butting in here, sure. uh, it, it just seems like that 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 there should be, uh, according to uh, evolutionary uh, natural selection, that there should be a, a material source for um, the, the material that, source that, are the physical facts about reality, the laws of nature. You know, the, this yeah, thing with, I would say, uh, this, what is that source? And the reason I just why told I you, I just I just told you, Tom. Well, well let, the, the, let me. Maybe the physical can, world is the source. Well, the, the point. The reason why I think of. Hang, of one, one second. One, one second. The reason why we call it natural selection is not to make it, not to focus on the selection, but to focus on the natural. Because it could be the case that there's nothing that determines whether or not a particular genetic code is passed on. Maybe it's just arbitrary. This one lives, this one dies. The, the model of 
evolution by means of natural selection is saying, no, it's not arbitrary. It's not that this group lived for no particular reason or this group died for no particular reason. It's this one was more suited to the environment that it found itself in at that time. That's, that's all we're saying is that the facts about nature, which could be temperature, other living beings, you know, predatory nature, isolation, anything, those facts are what determined which ones were more likely to live and which ones were more likely to die. That's it. Okay. Well, I guess my questions go. I, I, I kind of get more questions. I know you're about into the show, and I appreciate you uh, having me on. Uh, it seems like in light of all that and making uh, natural selection makes those adjustments, um, artificial selection uh, is selection by design, right? Yeah, that's how we got all the different dog breeds from sure. wolves. Yeah, and different plants and all that kind yep, of stuff. Yep, uh, yep. It, it just seems like it's, it's, it's just a little far to say that natural selection doesn't have that same kind of mind. Or, no, no. Um, the thing is... That's the point. Artificial selection demonstrably has a mind that is making selections. Right. Natural selection does not demonstrably have a mind. Now, you could argue that what we're calling natural selection is in fact a mind, but you would need to demonstrate that. That's what the intelligent design community has consistently tried and failed to do. But just because one type of selection is based on a mind and another one does not appear to be based on a mind doesn't mean that you're justified in claiming that it looks like it might be a mind, so we're going to call it that. Well, uh, uh, I'll work on enhancing the argument a little bit more. I sure appreciate you let me uh, air my concerns on this and uh, and refining them a little bit. Uh, I'm interested in immaterial things and uh, trying to... How do you know there are it. any immaterial things? That, what's that? Well, okay, we could talk about abstract concepts. Well, I got I got one for you if you got a minute. I got well, we're already over time, so sure, I got a minute. Okay, um, I've tried this one online too. It's it's uh, and you've probably heard it before. I think you've heard about every argument. I've watched you a little bit. We've on heard YouTube. a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have. I appreciate you taking extra time. Uh, are there laws of science? Are there like, laws, laws of, of science? You'd you'd have to. Yeah, laws of physics. So one of the things is that when we talk about laws, um, we have to define what we're talking about because laws tend to be viewed as prescriptive even though some of them are descriptive. So like the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit was a, a prescriptive law, basically saying thou shalt not go over 45, so we're going to call it a law in the sense of man's law. The laws of nature that we tend to label that way um, are not prescriptive in the sense that Somebody said the speed of light in a vacuum has to be this. Instead, we're describing that this is the case, and it appears to be immutable or locally immutable. It's a way to summarize facts is really what it's about. Okay. Uh, well, that's. I guess that's why I'm interested in, uh, that, that the laws of gravity and centrifugal force, uh, the laws that were necessary for creation – for example, they actually existed prior to man. Man didn't discover them, right? Man did discover them. Man didn't invent them, is what you mean. Okay, but they did exist before man. So, so far as we can him. tell, I mean, we don't have a time machine. You know, but the, the, laws, the laws, as we understand them, are models and concepts, right? Um, there, matter has behavior uh, and properties based on the physics of, uh, and, and the chemistry, right? So... That that stuff all existed well, well, long before us. 
my question uh, is it is it Dan? Don. Don. Don, I'm sorry. Um, my question is is uh, um, since since gravity existed uh, and maybe the laws associated with it prior to man, um, and let's just say at the point of the Big Bang, for example. Um, why is it such a far-fetched uh, idea among atheists to think that that those laws had to exist prior, that those laws couldn't exist prior to the Big Bang, for example? Well, and therefore in a mind as well. Okay, so you asked just a monster question right there. Um, so, uh, so yeah. here's the thing. Uh, I'm, I'm a little Did, nervous, so I'm so kind no, of here, it came out. Here, here's the thing. Is there good reason to think that gravity operated pretty much the way it does now before there were any human minds to recognize this? Yes, um, because it's descriptive of how all bodies move, so the formation of planets and other things. Right. The, the question that you asked, though, is why is it so ridiculous to think that gravity existed before the Big Bang? Uh, well, right. it may be because before the Big Bang is a nonsense question, because we talk about things in terms of local space-time and we cannot get back to the Big Bang or before the Big Bang. We can't, we can't investigate beyond the Planck time because that's when the math that we have to describe things breaks down. So, so, so we can't grab, we can't, Tom, Tom, wait. We cannot describe what there was or if there was anything before the Big Bang. But the second part of your question is, not only why is it absurd to think that gravity existed before the Big Bang, and the answer to that is, is because gravity is a description of our local space-time, and does not necessarily before that. That's why it's absurd to claim that it was existed before that. But you went a step further, which is why is it absurd to claim that it's part of a mind? Well, because we have absolutely no evidence for that, and it is beyond our capacity to investigate. It's like saying, hey, we people live in houses, so here's a house or something that looks like a house, it looks like a house from the outside. How do I know it's not just a solid block, that it's the densest matter, that it's, you know, some kind of physical construct inside of that house that leads to an alternate dimension? How do I know these things? Well, you don't. But the time to believe that that house is completely solid is after you've investigated and demonstrated that the case. The time to believe that that house when you open the door, leads you to an alternate dimension is after you've discovered and did that. If, if the facts about our local space-time are the product of a mind, then that needs to be demonstrated before there's justification well, to believe Well, it. I think there's a, uh, a category error here, and that is, you know, we, we have this mental laws of physics or whatever, the laws of gravity or whatever, and it's not... Be, the behavior isn't there because somebody thought it into existence, right? The behavior is there because that's the emergent property of matter, right? Um, it's, and, and this idea that, oh, um, you needs to have a mind in order to create it uh, is, is wrong because we're, we're just describing what we see. We're describing this behavior. We're not, we're not trying, there, there isn't any, uh, Mechanism or any idea that that were it's it's caused into existence by somebody thinking it. And see, I, I won't go that far. I won't say it's wrong. I'll say it hasn't been demonstrated to okay. be the case. Right. I, and, I and the time to believe going. it is I, after. I appreciate you guys staying later. Uh, um, I guess, and you might want to blast me on this one, but it, it seems to me that that 
that there is a certain amount of faith on both sides here. I mean, I believe that, wait, that God is... Wait, what, what faith are we exercising? Well, well just a second. You, you, you don't believe that anything supernatural existed, right? I, I, because we have yet seen the evidence Hang on. <laughs> I do not believe that is not the same as I believe the supernatural doesn't. So you do not believe in... I am not convinced that the supernatural is real. How is that an exercise of faith to not be convinced of something? <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I'll figure Damn it out. Damn right. Later. We'll see you next time, Tom. Thanks for everybody hanging out. Thanks to the studio audience, the guys behind, working behind the scenes. We went a little time. We'll see you all next week. Appreciate you hanging out. Bye-bye. This is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you.